want to take just a minute and remind ourselves of what we do this time of year and why we, we celebrate. As I think was mentioned recently, and just in case anyone missed a few sermons a few years ago, and I, I don't know, ruined most of Christmas for everybody. Uh, um, Christ wasn't born on December 25th. We think it was probably in April at some point, but that really doesn't matter. We are celebrating um, His birth today. Whether we get the date exactly right or not is kind of inconsequential. Um, but we do celebrate, and we celebrate for a reason. And that's because uh, sent to us in the form of a baby was the Messiah. And I want to talk about that word for just a little bit today, this morning, and talk about what that means. In Hebrew, the word Messiah means anointed one or chosen one. Anointing brings forth this idea of someone who was chosen, who was consecrated or separated for a purpose. And in fact, in the Old Testament, there were at least three groups of people who were anointed. Those were prophets, priests, and kings. Separately. Prophets, priests, and kings. In Greek, the equivalent word to Messiah is Christos or Christos, which is where we get the English translation Christ. And so every time we say Jesus Christ, we are in fact using his given earthly name, but we are applying to that the idea that he is the Messiah, the chosen, the anointed one. And so when we say Jesus Christ, we are saying Jesus the anointed or Jesus the chosen. I think that's something that maybe we didn't realize. Maybe, maybe we're taught that in Sunday school at some point and kind of forget about it. We don't know why we call him Jesus Christ. That's not his last name. It's it's a title. It is Jesus, the anointed one. So why do we call him that? Why is it that he is the Messiah? Why is it that he is chosen? Why is it that he is the anointed one? Well, to fully answer that, we must go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. I'll just put you in remembrance for just a minute that in God created the world and it was perfect and it was good. And every day that he created something, all six days of creation, he would pause and he would say, it is good. And then on the last day, he took a rest on the seventh day. God created man and woman. He appointed for them to be together. And he would come and he would walk with them and commune with them in perfect harmony. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no pain, apparently. There was no death. There was none of that. And we were given, and I say we because I think it applies to us, Adam and Eve were given one fairly simple command. Do not eat the fruit of this one tree. And of course the serpent came and tricked Eve. And for whatever reason, and you can have multiple reasons, Adam went along with it. And when he disobeyed, it says their eyes were opened and sin entered the world. And we see in chapter 3 some of the fallout from that, quite literally, they were banished from the garden, from the presence of God. Their work became labor. They would die. They experienced pain. They would have to work to survive. And for thousands of years, that hasn't <clears throat> always worked out for a lot of people. But the worst of all that is, in fact, that God had to separate himself from us because we are in sin. And God 
is pure and perfect. That story could have ended right there. It could have gone on for however long the garden did, and then God could have stepped away, and rightfully so. But he provided a way out, a Messiah, if you will. Now, we know through Scripture that this was planned from the foundations of the world because God knew, in fact, that we would make this horrible turn. God knew, in fact, that we would become separated and estranged from Him. God knew that we would become enemies with Him. And He, from the beginning, made a plan and a way out. And we see that even in chapter 3 of Genesis. Chapter 3, verse 15 Flip my page. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. See, God himself is talking to Satan, who took the form of a serpent to trick Eve, and to present them options for being proud and tried to stand up against God. And God is telling him and telling us by way of revealing this passage that there is going to be a great battle that comes between him and Satan. There is going to be a time when God is going to have a fight, if you will, with Satan. And while we still look ahead to that day when once and for all it is finally over, what we see, I think, very clearly hinted at and foretold in the earliest chapters of Genesis is that there will come someone a Messiah, someone who was anointed, someone who was set apart, who was going to solve this problem for us once and for all. And that is, in fact, what we celebrate today. When we look to Jesus as the Messiah, the one who was chosen, the one who was set apart, we see him as the one who came from the seed of woman all the way down the line until he was born of woman. This is actually very, very important. And if you follow uh, the concepts here, we can get really deep, and I don't really mean to this morning. But let us not forget that Jesus Christ is born of a virgin, which means he didn't have an earthly father. In fact, he was born of the Holy Spirit, conceived by Mary. And what that means is that this prophecy is, in fact, fulfilled, that he came through the birth of a woman, but he was not born of a father, which is how the sin curse is passed on. And so he was born holy and pure without sin. That is the only way it is actually possible. And so we see how rich and how deep and how beautifully connected from the third chapter of Genesis all the way through the end, we see the book of our Lord proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Isaiah 42 and 1 says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit on him, and he will bring forth justice to the nation. And so for thousands of years, a world lost in sin eagerly awaited and looked for who would be the Messiah. Who is it that is the anointed one that God has separated that is coming for once and for all to take care of the sin and reunite us to God? And the world waited and waited and waited until about 2,000 years ago when we finally got our answer in the most unconventional way we could ever imagine, in a way that none of us, if we were dreaming this up, would ever dream to do it. But that is the beauty of our Lord and Savior, that he doesn't operate the way that we think he should or the way that he thinks we think he will. 
I'll be a lot in Isaiah for the remainder of the service if you want to turn there, moving around quite a bit. Isaiah has a lot to say about the Messiah. Isaiah 61 in particular, Isaiah 61, I'll read the first three verses. So the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for heaviness that they might be called trees of righteous, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And through the prophet Isaiah, who was prophesying about the Messiah to come, had no idea exactly what it was that he was saying or why the Lord was using him to say these things, but nevertheless was obedient to write them down and to give us a description of the Messiah to come. In the early, I say early, the Jews and the Hebrews of the time knew that this was talking about one who was to come and applied this to a future Messiah. They took this as a description of the one who was going to come, someone who was going to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim the liberty to captives and open the prison of them who are bound. See, someone who would come and restore the peace that was broken. Someone who would come, who would make right what Adam made wrong. The second Adam, the one who would come later, who would make perfect everything that had been messed up by the first. And they knew that this scripture was talking about him and they were waiting for him, eagerly looking for him. And then he came. Well, how do we know that he came? How do we know that Jesus was the Messiah? Are we correct to call him Jesus Christ as in Jesus, the anointed Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the chosen one? Well, I think absolutely. Yes. I could spend many Sundays talking about all the prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus Christ, but let me hit a couple of that are very important this morning. The scriptures tell us in Isaiah 9 and 6 that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would be a Hebrew. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So Jesus is a Hebrew. He is of that line, and he fulfills the prophecy that he would be. We are also told, as we sang about this morning, that he would be born in Bethlehem. As I preached last Christmas, I think, around that time, we talked about this little tiny city of Bethlehem that I titled the sermon, No Account. It just didn't matter any. There was no reason to ever think it would amount to anything. Little tiny village on the outskirts of Jerusalem, no one had ever really heard of or talked about. But boy, did it play a pivotal part in history. I'll add, if you hadn't seen the news, it's very quiet there this morning. They canceled all Christmas services, so the little town of Bethlehem is probably about as quiet as it was a couple thousand years ago. Anyway, we see that in Micah 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. 
And so we see the prediction and the promise that Jesus Christ, again, the Messiah, would come from Bethlehem. And of course, where do we know that Jesus was born? Well, certainly in Bethlehem, a little city of no account, would come one who would be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, the ancient of days. As I said just a moment ago, he was certainly born of a virgin. We see that talked about Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I hope that these are all familiar scriptures to you, but I hope that you are reminded this time of year when we hear these scriptures that these are fulfillments to promises made thousands of years ago. These are fulfillments to indicate and signify that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Messiah, the one that God anointed to come and to take our place and to die for us. Jesus Christ is also similar to Moses. Now we have to be very careful here. Moses was certainly a man and we can't put him on too high of a pedestal at all. But we see similarities and in fact the scripture talks about the two of them being similar. Deuteronomy 18:18 18, 18 says, "I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my sword in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command." Something else that's interesting about Moses is He saw God, and Jesus Christ also saw God. Deuteronomy 34 and 10 says, talking about Moses, says, whom the Lord knew face to face. And John 8 and 38, Christ says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And so we see this idea that Jesus Christ, similar to Moses, has been face to face with the Almighty God. And that they were told, even back in Deuteronomy, as they were being led out of captivity by Moses leading them to where? To the promised land. That someday someone greater would come and lead us out of captivity and into the promised land. And we see that in Jesus Christ, don't we? Now, the difference is Moses led them out and into the promised land only for their flesh, only for the life that they had here. And Jesus Christ does this spiritually and eternally. See, he leads us out into the spiritual salvation, into the reward that he has prepared for us. So while Moses only represented God, Jesus was God, is God. Another way that we see that he is the Messiah. I heard a few of you talking about this recently, and I joined in there at the end, but it made my heart glad to hear you talk about such things. The discussion of Melchizedek came up recently. That's a fun study that I actually encourage you to take a look at at some point, but let me hit some of the high notes. Melchizedek is mentioned just a few times in Scripture, both in Old and New Testament. Highly thought of. Um... We're not entirely sure who he was. There's some interesting theories that are probably a little too far afield from reality, but I don't think we should pass over this either because he does play a pivotal role in who we understand Jesus Christ to be. Psalms 110.4. Psalms 110.4. It's one of the verses that talks about Melchizedek. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
And we see this discussed at quite length in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews. Who is this Melchizedek and what are exactly we talking about? Well, some other time we'll spend probably quite a few lessons talking about this, but let me summarize what I think we can say today. You see, Jesus Christ was not born a Levite, and Levites were the priests. He was actually born in the tribe of Judah, which is the kingly tribe in Hebrew. So there's a great question. How could Jesus Christ be our priest? How could he be our prophet if, in fact, he was not born into the tribe where only the priests come from? And the New Testament writers answer this very clearly, quoting Psalms. He was a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Well, who was that? Well, you have to understand that Melchizedek predated the Hebrews. See, God established the Hebrews with uh, Abraham. And Melchizedek is a king over a city called Salem, or you might know it better as Jerusalem, the city of peace. Melchizedek, the name, means king of righteousness. And Abraham, if you recall, met this king, paid a tenth or a tithe to this king, and he is recorded in history as being a great king, a king of peace, a king of righteousness, who was in Jerusalem, that Abraham sought and said, um, you are greater than I, basically, and wanted to have him as his priest. And so what we see here is this order of Melchizedek, this idea that there can be God-established men outside the order of Levi, who are priests. And so I think what this is talking about, and again, this can get very deep, and I encourage you to look at it as uh, you study the scriptures. But I think one of the things that this is saying is that Jesus Christ, even though he didn't come from the line of Levi, even though he wasn't from the priestly tribe, he can still be a high priest and a ruler. Why? Because those who please God are found in his favor. And so he came in the order of Melchizedek, He is greater than the tribe of Levi. He predates the Hebrews. He predates Levi. And so he can be the king of peace in the city of peace. We also see that Jesus, again Christ, Jesus the Messiah, would be a king. As I've already pointed out, he would come from the tribe of Judah, the priestly tribe. Let me turn to Isaiah 11 and read a couple of verses there. Isaiah 11. But there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And what we see here is, in fact, Jesus Christ is a descendant of not only the priestly tribe, but also eventually of Jesse, who is the father of King David, and so on and so forth until we have Jesus Christ. So here is another prophecy that has been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. But perhaps the most important one is the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And I'll be there for just a minute if you want to 
turn there. 53rd chapter of Isaiah. We have covered this in great extent time before, but I think it bears important nature to mention it now. Because I want to make one, a couple of things abundantly clear today. One, that Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the one that we have all been waiting for, the one that was foretold in prophecy from time old all the way until recent times, the one who came, who lived, but very importantly, who grew up, who lived a sinless life, who suffered and bled and died for our sins, who took upon himself all the things that we couldn't bear so that I may have peace with God eternal. And chapter 53 of Isaiah is a powerful example of that. And so as we celebrate the birth of a small child, let us look beyond that and look to the man that he would become, the things that he would teach, and the work that he would do on your behalf. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form of comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as the sheep before the shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured his soul unto the death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and the bear the sins of many, and made trans- intercession for the transgressor. I don't know entirely how accurate this is. I've said this a couple times before. I don't I guess I'd have to get a Hebrew Bible and test it for myself. I understand, or I'm given to understand, that many Hebrew Bibles exclude the 53rd chapter of Isaiah because it is so clearly talking about Jesus the Messiah. If that's true, brothers and sisters, that is willing ignorance. Willing ignorance. Wanting to cover up the very fact of who Jesus is. And as shameful as that might sound to those who are sitting here and listening to this today... 
How many times have we willingly ignored who he is? How many times have we known what is right and done the opposite? How many times have we known what is wrong and done it anyway? How many times have we said, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that little verse over there or this part of the scripture over here, or let's twist it to make it mean something else. How many times have we ourselves tried to remove what's very clearly Christ's message for us from our own hearts and our minds? And so before we judge too quickly, let us consider our own actions. But nevertheless, we see very clearly here some amazing prophecies about Jesus Christ. We see that he is uh, despised and held in low esteem. And we might have a hard time understanding that, but all you have to do is read in context the New Testament, the story of Jesus Christ, and you see that he was absolutely despised. We see times when he would have large crowds, and then he would say a hard message, and everyone would leave except for the twelve. We see times that he was, people wanted to stone him and kill him all the time. He was not well thought of at the time in the popular sense. It says he was pierced in verse 5. Well, he certainly was. He was hung on a tree. And to come and make sure, again, the prophecy was he would have no broken bones. So instead of breaking his bones, which was the custom at that time, they pierced his side. He was oppressed and afflicted. Why? Because of us. Because of our sins. Unjustly was he condemned. Unjustly was he beaten. And unjustly was he murdered. He died with thieves, as it says in here in verse 9, but was buried in a rich man's tomb. And so we see how that verse is made true as well. After suffering a death, Jesus was resurrected and glorified and is seated at the right hand of God. And so today we celebrate a risen Savior, someone who came into the world, who lived as a man, who was God, who died for us, who rose and is seated at the right hand of God, conquering everything. There are so many prophecies, so many connections This, again, is the beauty of the Scripture and the value that we have in it. Let me make sure I've answered the question, is Jesus rightly the Messiah? Is He really Jesus Christ? Well, some might point to some of the contradictions in the Scripture. We see Scripture that says the Messiah will be divine. We also clearly see scriptures that he will be a man. Jesus Christ was both. We see some scriptures that talk about how he will be cut off. And others that emphasize he will reign forever. Well, Jesus Christ has been cut off and will reign forever. He is both. We see scriptures that talk about how he will suffer and yet he will reign. Well, clearly he has done both. Today we see the answer isn't an either or. The answer isn't look at this one scripture. The answer is look at all of scripture and everything points to Jesus Christ. Everything points to him being the one who is the Messiah, the one who was set aside, the one who was holy. Everything points to him fulfilling everything that has been said, save a few prophecies that are yet to come. We see in all of this who he is and what he is. And if you don't believe me, Let's take his word for it. Well, I highly, highly advise you never do this. I've heard lots of people say, well, I just read the words in red. Well, if that's your flavor, turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to read a few words in red. 
What that means is people who say, well, I just want to read what Jesus said. I don't want to read the rest of this. Brothers and sisters, while you could read what Jesus said, and that's certainly enough for you to be saved, God gave us all of the Scripture as breathed out by prophets, that is inspired by the Lord, that is written for His edification. And to only read the red is to miss a very important part. Jesus, this is Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 18, early, early into His ministry, in fact, almost right as He began doing miracles and proclaiming the things that were going on, He went to temple as He was supposed to. They handed Him a scroll to read. It was His turn to read the Scriptures. Let's start with verse 17. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's another way of saying Isaiah that I just read. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. And here we go. Verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. See, Jesus read that with authority. Jesus read that scripture and by reading it proclaimed that it is Isaiah is talking about him, that he is the Messiah. He is the one who is predicted to come. He is the one from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through time until this point now that the Gospels and the Old Testament and the prophets and the priests and everyone has been looking for, that everyone has been waiting for the only one who could come and take away the sins of the earth. And Jesus stands up in public and says, I am he. And everyone just stares at him in astonishment. And just in case it wasn't clear, we'll read verse 21 too. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. What a blessed day. What a day that should be celebrated. What a day and a thing. What a work that God has wrought for us. That He has sent His Son. That we can know Him. That He can live and die for us. That we can be redeemed. That we can have unlimited access to the God who made the world. Who wants to know us. Who sent His Son to die for us. Now just one more time in case you still don't believe me. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Jesus was sitting outside of a city or a community. It was not Hebrews. They were not Jews. And he met a woman who came to the well. And many of you know this story and know her background, but that really doesn't matter for what I'm going to read today. God begins... Or Jesus, God, same thing, begins a conversation with this woman, asking about her and about her background, asking about who and what she worships. John chapter 4, verse 25, it picks up, The woman said unto him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. See, this is a woman who was looking ahead for a Messiah. She was studying the scriptures and waiting for someone who would fulfill all the things that she knew the scripture said. 
Everything in the Old Testament that had been collected, all the words of Isaiah, all the words in the book of Genesis, all the example of someone who will be like Moses, all the things that were said, and she was looking, even though she was steep in sin and living a life that was not approved of God, she was looking unto a Messiah who could take away the burden that she can't bear. And Jesus Christ looked at her and said, Jesus said unto her, I that speak to you am he. And just in case you thought, well, maybe that in Luke, he was saying, well, that's about me and some kind of symbology or something. Jesus Christ very clearly says to her, I am the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful that God chose to do it that way? God chose to send us a helpless infant to grow up, to live a perfect life, to live into the lives of people by saying, I am the one you've been waiting for. This is what we celebrate today. This is the birth of a Messiah, the one who was chosen, the one who was anointed. The plan from the beginning of the foundation of the world was for God to send his only son to us to live among us, to demonstrate how we should live, to live sinless, to die for us, to rise so that we can be reunited with God. Are you looking for the Messiah today? Because we look back to what he did, just like they were looking forward to find him. Do you have faith in who he is and what he said he was? Because this Messiah that we celebrate today The one who we celebrate at Christmas, he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is the Lamb of God, the Alpha and Omega, the King of the Jews, the wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the second Adam, the Chief Shepherd, the Deliverer, the Day Spring, the Bright and Morning Star. He is the Door the Holy One, the Horn of Salvation, the King of Kings, the Light of the World, the Man of Sorrow, the Prophet, the Redeemer, the Rock, the Root of David, the Rose of Sharon, the Savior, the Vine, the Light, the Truth, the Word. Jesus Christ is the Great I Am. And that is what we celebrate. That the Great I Am, God Himself came and lived among us. Oh, we of all people should have great joy. That we can look back in faith to the one who came. That we have the scripture as complete as it is to show us the way unto God. That those of us who have come to know him have the Holy Spirit, which is a part of the Godhead who lives and dwells inside of us and gives us guidance and utterances and helps us to live and helps remind us of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. That we have an opportunity to know him while we are still living on this earth and to be caught up with him in the air and to know him for all eternity in heaven because of his coming in the form of a baby. Innocent and remaining innocent and paying the penalty for us. That is the Messiah. That is the one who's been set apart. That was and is his purpose. That's who he is. And I'm thankful that I know who he is. And so I challenge you today do you know who he is?
Are you celebrating who Jesus is? Do you know him as the Messiah, the anointed one who is set apart? Or do you know him as a Sunday school story? Do you know him as someone who has come and changed your life? Or do you know a little history about him? Do you know him as a personal Lord and Savior? Or do you have a head knowledge? Because as I preached a few weeks prior, in the last days, many will say, Lord, Lord, and yet will not be allowed into the kingdom of heaven. I hope that you know him. I pray that you know him. I pray that you've sought him out and he has saved you so that you can truly celebrate what we ought to, which is the coming of a Messiah.